welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And I'm still sick through the uh, magic of it being the same day as we recorded the last episode. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the tecumseh lupes territory within the unceded traditional lands of Shwetmak-Ulu. And today's text, Saved by the Bell, the 2020 series, takes place in Malibu, the traditional home of the Mikanakan and Chumash peoples. And Joe, I continue mm-hmm. to be unabashedly in love with this revival. <laughs> Welcome back, Bayside! I can't wait to start junior year. Last year, you changed this place. I got people to care about important stuff. Not just Bayside nonsense. Hey, Dad, think fast. This is gonna be awesome! Oh, boy. Here we go. Oh, really? Bayside is hosting the California School Spirit Competition. Oh, really? It's the perfect venue for our second kiss. And what a delicious sight it will be. You're not a part of this, Spencer! As many of you know, Bayside has a bitter rivalry with Valley. Our rivals just destroyed our mascot. No! Take me instead, God! Make the switch, you coward! Okay, people, I have a big agenda. So we need to stop getting distracted. Yeah, I know you're looking, know you're looking at me. Uh-oh. Having a crush on someone is embarrassing and distracting. You're good for me. Like broccoli. What? Oh, yeah, I know you're looking, I know you're looking at me. Jesse, what's wrong? Everybody knows I'm getting a divorce. Fate is real. You're working at the same school as your first love. You've been through a lot. My life sucks pretty bad, too. 50 bucks says my life sucks more than yours. You're on. That's a dollar. I see that. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. So, folks, we are going to be doing a mini-sode on the entirety of the second season. So if you have not had a chance to watch it, it is entirely available now. And, uh, yeah, it's still delightful. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to our first episode, we did a lot of contextual stuff for them that we'll try not to rehash now. So Mm -hmm. go back and listen to that one if you haven't yet. Indeed, yeah. So, Brenna... Season two is, I would argue, uh, doing a good job of kind of spreading the wealth to everybody. Like there's a couple of very special style episodes, a little less reliance on the adults, although obviously Jesse and Slater do get a kind of will they, won't they romance, which of course we all know means that they will. And uh, the entirety of the second season is built around this arc of uh, we've got spirit hours that we need to collect. So it's like community service so that we can participate in a (laughs) it's like a competition at the end of the season to determine whose school is best. And then they get a really crappy looking spirit stick at the end. So one of the things that the show continues to do really well is playing with the tropes of the first series and really playing with them in a way that recognizes the foolishness. So Mm -hmm. one of the things, the sort of incomprehensible things about the original Saved by the Bell is this rivalry with Valley, which is the other high school in Malibu. And they hate Valley like so much in the original series. And it's never expressly clear why. It's just kind of like... It very much falls in one of those um, 
sort of grease, kind of like 1950s, be cool to your school kind of vibes. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and the original Saved by the Bell just took that on kind of unironically. Whereas this series really mocks it, particularly mm-hmm. the kids who have come from Douglas and arrived at Bayside, who still look upon the Baysiders with a fair amount of suspicion, particularly at the beginning of the season. And they're yes. like, why do you guys hate Valley so much? And the Baysiders always respond by like, just saying the word Valley angrily and like spitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just is. You just have to go along with it. And of course, everybody is on the right side of this debate by the end of the season where the Douglas kids finally realize, okay, we are Bayside now. Like, this is who we are. We're proud of it. And we want to represent our school. And this all is sort of filtered through an additional layer, which is that uh, these kids have been in quarantine for a period of time. The show is Mm -hmm. very aware of the coronavirus as a concept. Um, They have come back to school and they have been apart. And so at least a bit of the first couple of episodes is really about them finding their way into taking up space with each other Mm -hmm. again. What's nice is that that gives you the sort of setup of the Bayside versus Douglas kids again, but uh, in fast forward. So we don't spend the whole season dealing with that. We get this reintegration basically by the end of episode two. And then they really are just one crew, except that anytime the adults come in, the Douglas Mm -hmm. kids are like, you know that this isn't how normal adults behave, right? Right. Always. Yes. (laughs) I do appreciate, too, how at the end of the season, there's a couple of really important scenes specifically around Daisy and Mac and how they've almost been using this competition as a means to get back the lost time. And I'm using air quotes here because they very much feel like their high school career has been derailed by the yeah. missing year. And they're they're trying to prove that they can make up for it, right? So Mac is trying to prove himself that he's better than his father, Zach. And Daisy is saying like, well, I, I had all these things that I need to get done so that I could press on with my future. Because of course, she's so studious and she's always planning ahead. And they both have to come to the realization that they haven't actually lost anything and that they are still who they are where they need to be. I am obsessed with the first episode and this last year dance because basically Mac (laughs) tries to have every social experience that they should have had in the previous year in one dance. Right. the kids have not been around other humans for a year. And so what mm-hmm. ends up happening is basically everybody has like this trauma response <laughs> to being forced through all these social interactions at like a record pace in this dance. Mm-hmm. And I really loved it because I thought it was sending up all kinds of things. It was sending up this idea of the lost year. And yep. it was sending up this idea of sort of like, oh, think of the children and all they have lost from this experience, which, Mm -hmm. you know, doesn't really speak to the resiliency of teenagers and the ways in which they found opportunities to thrive, which isn't to downplay, like, pandemics suck and I'm not enjoying Mm -hmm. myself. But (laughs) I really (laughs) liked the way the episode tried to show that you can't possibly party your way into normalcy basically i just really (laughs) liked it i thought it was pretty clever yeah and i also like that if that doesn't appeal to you as a viewer there's 
individual conflicts that you can sort of focalize your lens through. So mm-hmm. so we have Lexi, who has also been dating Jamie. And of course, they've been spending all of their time on Zoom because it's not appropriate to see each other in person. And they have to try to find the way to have a perfect second kiss. And I actually really enjoyed the evolution of their relationship over the course of this season. I'm not going to lie. I also really appreciated that we actually got to see physical romance between the two Mm -hmm. of them. Because as we talked about in that first episode on Saved by the Bell, you know, uh, Josie Toda is a producer on the show and she's been very instrumental in integrating trans storylines. And I love the fact that the physical aspect of their relationship has nothing to do with any of that. It's very much a, we're into each other and we just want to make sure that we can lock lips in a satisfying way. It's not about like, hey, I'm dating a trans woman and what does that mean for me? It's like, nope, that's not an issue. One of my favorite episodes in the season is the one that is sort of like the maybe trans issue focused episode. The very special episode, yeah. (laughs) Yes, where uh, I guess trans kids have been banned from sports at another high school. And... Mm -hmm between people like people who she's never heard from suddenly wanting to check in and make sure she's okay um bayside falling all over itself to show how it's not like that high school and Mm -hmm. everything is better here and we're more inclusive and the ways in which lexi gets asked to kind of perform her trauma in that episode yes becomes this really sweet bonding between her and devante um because devante has also had that experience with people he'd never heard from checking in on him when the Black Mm -hmm. Lives Matter protests were happening in their area. And so you have this kind of really interesting episode that is less interested in the trauma itself and more interested in the ways in which we expect marginalized people to perform it for the majority. I thought that was actually a fairly sophisticated approach to the issues. And I have to say that episode surprised me. Yeah, I really like that one as well. I thought that it was doing a good job of balancing some very complicated issues in, you know, the space of a television sitcom. So about 22 to 26 minutes. I will say, though, my my sort of eh about it is that it's tricky because I, I definitely just called it a very special episode. But in this case, it's like, okay, we did the thing. And then the episode literally just ends. Yeah. And then we never talk about it again. And I was like, okay, so you kind of just reinforce like, okay, well, we did the thing. And now we can move on. Let's not address it again. It's true. It's interesting. I am curious. It's almost like each season gets a little bit braver. I'm interested to mm-hmm. see where it goes next season. Because yes, last season, we didn't even get a full episode length treatment of Lexi's experience. So this is an expansion on that. Um, But I don't disagree with you about what you're saying at all. I think one of the other things that comes out in that episode is that we have the introduction of a new character who will eventually go on to become a love interest for Aisha. And I'm kind of getting this out of the way early because I feel like you were going to ask me how I felt like it was handled. (laughs) And I have sort of mixed feelings about Aisha's coming out as bisexual over the course of this season. In retrospect, it kind of makes sense because you could argue that that was one of the reasons she was most interested in joining the football team in the first season and why she gets so upset when it kind of gets taken away from her and she loses part of her identity in the first part of this season. But it also felt 
awkwardly shoehorned in, like not entirely convincing. Um, so while I appreciate the representation, especially of a bisexual character, which is something that popular culture really struggles with. And a bisexual woman of color in particular. Yeah, yeah. So I valued the inclusion there, but I also, I don't know, I didn't love this storyline. It felt awkward at times. Well, to me, the problem with it was that it ends up being more about Daisy than about Aisha in the end. It's about Daisy having been a bad friend because she's been so focused on her own stuff that she hasn't been there for Aisha. Mm -hmm. And uh, in general, that's not a good look (laughs) to make someone's coming out the the main Mm -hmm. focus or to make the main focus of someone's coming out to be primarily the experience of the straight person in their relationship. Like, that's not great. And so... I don't think it was handled particularly well in that episode in particular, but I really like the two of them together. I think Chloe's super cute. And uh, I'm eager to see, again, I'm eager to see what happens as those characters get to develop. Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those things where this is the introduction of the character, and I'm interested to see where it goes now that we've handled the I'm slightly uncomfortable with coming out to my friend. What does this mean for me? Like, okay, now we've done that, let's move on. Like, I want to see where this goes. In the same way that I think the Lexi-Jamie relationship got to become more interesting now that we're settled into it. Yeah, I agree completely. I will say I think the adults are less cringy in this season, partly because they relied on less and they're more like comic relief than holding Mm -hmm. central parts of the plots themselves for the most part. I think that's helpful. I found the tribute to Screech at the end of the first episode deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, especially considering we unpack his non-involvement in season one. So it feels very much like, well, we didn't want to have him back, but now we should acknowledge his passing. Yeah, it was, I think, gross with a capital gr, um, for sure. (laughs) But in general, I think they found a better balance with those adult characters. They are often very funny, and for you know, aging millennials who watch the original series, some of those references are so funny. And what's Mm -hmm. funniest is the ways in which the kids have no idea what they're talking about when they make these references. Um, You know, they they give a reference to Leah Remini at one point. When Saved by the Bell, around the time of their senior year, did like a summer series at a beach club, Leah Remini is the character who becomes Zach's love interest during that mini- sort of series of episodes Mm -hmm. and so when they made that joke about like they couldn't get her because they can't afford her i laughed fully laughed out loud and so those moments still work really well for me the fan service elements i think they Mm -hmm. found a better balance in season two where it's not just sort of like shoehorned in but the references they make sense they serve a fan base that is not really the audience of the show itself uh, and Mm -hmm. it works well i think Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. The moment that had me uproariously laughing is the extended references to showgirls. (laughs) Oh, yes, Uh, I thought you'd like that. (laughs) Yeah, I I was interested to see if you would even understand them because I I don't know the depth of your (laughs) experience with that. But yeah, during the career fair episode, there's an extended (laughs) bit in which Elizabeth Berkeley's Jesse talks about her period in Vegas, and they put her in a similar costume she's got a pole like a fireman's pole that she ends up working it was 
honestly very delightful. And I love how Elizabeth Berkeley has been able to come full circle and she's now in a position where she can joke about how terrible her experience making the movie was and basically how it nearly ended her professional career. So it was just joyful. I loved seeing that. I loved it too because of the way they fit it in where Elizabeth Berkeley wasn't in Saved by the Bell the college years. So the idea is that while the college years was happening, that's what she was doing in Vegas. Mm -hmm. And the way the other characters keep looking at her and saying, what were you doing in Vegas? Like, (laughs) it genuinely cracked me up every time. It was good. I have only ever seen the movie, Joe, you will laugh. I've only ever seen the TBS cut of the movie. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) The pasties cut. Yep. Yeah, where they literally draw the little bikinis on them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, that's the version that I've seen. Um, <laughs> yeah. So in general, I was really pleased that we revisited the show. I think that it's finding its feet, um, and mm-hmm. it's still just a real just joy. Oh, oh, the other reference that I'm sure you got and enjoyed was the reference to the caffeine pills. Yes, did you yes, catch yes, that yes. Part? Yeah, I did. That was mm-hmm. really good. During the 12-hour marathon dance, which I love that they waited to set up so that they could decorate the gym as opposed to getting people started early so that they didn't have to go a full 12 hours. I'm just like, this is perfect Saved by the Bell ridiculousness. That's exactly it. The The show seems to be figuring out how to make fun of its own past and really play on those most popular memes of its own history so things Mm -hmm. like i'm so excited i'm so excited those memes come back in the show but it's finding a way to be really loving about its own history yeah you know know, exactly elizabeth berkeley dealing with her her um feelings about showgirls it has a similar vibe it's like it recognizes that it only exists because of the weight of its history and so it turns to that in a really playful way. And I think it's rewarding for the audience. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm now fully expecting that it will be canceled because it's starting to find its way. Yeah. (laughs) But if it does come back for a hypothetical season three, I would love to get rid of those asides. We did cut them down this season, but Daisy still makes them occasionally and they still don't do anything for me. (laughs) And I would actually like to see some kind of evolution for principal Todman because I actually find him to be the most grating character on the show. Now he's so, uh, just over the top, like the manic energy. It's amusing every once in a while, like his obsession at the career fair thinking that Mac is going to prank him at any given moment and him just getting increasingly more panic and desperate. That's funny, but it's funny every once in a while, not in every single episode, it, it just becomes too much. Do you watch Parks and Recreation? I've watched parts of it, but not all of it. Are you familiar with the Jerry character? Uh, There's a character in the office, Jerry, and everybody sort of okay. dumps on him. He fails yeah. at everything all the time, and he's the comic relief. But the secret to Jerry's character is that he has this incredibly loving family. He has this, like, knockout beautiful wife and these gorgeous daughters, and they, like, dote on him and love him. Mm. And... It's really critical to Jerry's character that the inside joke for Jerry is that it doesn't matter that everybody treats him this badly at work because his Mm -hmm. home life is amazing. Yeah, he's got the win in another part of his life, right? And I think we need that for Todman. Todman has become too much of a loser. It's like even the kids make fun of him now in a way that they didn't in season one. We've lost a little bit of the sort of 
he's the principal who's a goofy guy. He's lost that kind of Dean from Community vibe, and now he's mm-hmm. just such a profound loser that, that it's yeah. a lot to watch episode on episode. So I think what we need for him is a backstory that gives him uh, a win. Yeah, actually, the the reference to the Dean from Community is very apt. The difference is that the Dean shows up for one, maybe two scenes in mm-hmm. every episode of Community, whereas Todman is there all the time. He's there all the time. So yeah, I think they either need to make him less of a caricature and give him some kind of grounding element or say, okay, well, we're going to parachute him in for ridiculousness, but we're going to cut that back. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think that, you know, it's trying to call back to Mr. Belding and the the gag on the original Saved by the Bell was always like, why is their principal there all the time? Like half the time, Mr. Mm-hmm. Belding's teaching their classes and it was just because the show right. was made on the incredible cheap, right? They didn't have right. additional actors and things. But I think that they've pushed it too far. I noticed that they made a, a reference to Belding being Todman's mentor in this season. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not working. And it's a shame because I actually, he's an actor who I find hilarious Oh yeah, in ninety yeah, yeah. percent of his roles, and I I feel like they're just using him poorly here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then my my final criticism, I'm slowly coming around to Devante, but I still find him the least interesting of the main cast. To the point where I'm like, what does the show lose if we don't have this character here? Because it still feels like they don't quite know what to do with him. Yeah, it was interesting seeing him become like this musical theater star. I really liked that for him. I also Mm -hmm. really liked his episode in the career fair where he really pushes back against the way Daisy sort of forces him (laughs) through the career fair. Like he's... I like it when they let him have these moments where he's like, actually, Bayside is like a great opportunity for me and Mm -hmm. I value it and I want to experience it. But oftentimes the silliness of the show gets in the way of developing that plot line, often to the benefit of comedy, but to the neglect of Devante's character for sure. Yeah, yeah. Agree. So all all this to say, I do think season two it feels more competent, like it it has a better sense of what it's trying to be, which mm-hmm. is not a knock on season one, because we both quite like season one. This just feels like, okay, we're we're now settling in, we've, we've got a good plan. And it feels weird to say it about a show that is this goofy, but it is maturing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I hope we get a season three, because yeah, this is just a light, like it's so easy to watch. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's very bingeable. I haven't binged anything in such a long time, but I binged this while wrapping Christmas presents for millions of yeah. hours on end, and mm-hmm. uh, it was really joyful. Really enjoyed oh, yeah. it. it. It also rewards you watching it all at once because yeah. it's made for that, right? Yeah, there's a lot of jokes where they build from episode to episode, but they're small, so they're easy to miss if you're not like, oh, I just watched that yesterday. I caught it. Yeah, exactly. Also, A plus uh, takedown of Joss Whedon. Yes. There's that one line where it's like, oh, he's a nerd. He's harmless. And oh, boy, the, <laughs> a little bit of fire there. The pop culture references in general are absolutely top notch. And even if mm-hmm. you don't have the Saved by the Bell context, the way the young cast approaches their own generation's popular culture is it's worth a watch for that alone because those lines are always really funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Jill. You know where we're heading next week. 
Oh boy. Yeah, we talked about it last week. We teased it. We're going to do a little bit more insurgent. Oh my goodness. Joe, I just uh, downloaded the library ebook and it's mm-hmm. the collector's edition. So oh, I'm Tris be approved. Trivia and or I'm going <laughs> to skip all the trivia. It'll be one or the other. We'll see. We'll see how things are going. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to revisit this. These are not films or books that I hate, but I feel... I don't know. They always feel like a subpar version of The Hunger Games, and I'm curious to see if I'm going to feel differently this time. I've been thinking the same thing, and I think that um, some of my frustration with Hunger Games sort of got superimposed onto Divergent, Hmm. and I'm not sure it's fair. So I'm going to try to revisit with fresh eyes. That's Ah, my goal. Okay. Well, I'm excited for that discussion next week. And it's also worth taking a moment here to remind folks that you should be reading Catcher in the Rye for Band Book Club. And you can definitely reach out with your thoughts on that anytime. Mm-hmm. Yes, we need those responses in by the 27th of January at the latest. Yes, that is the cutoff, 27th of January. So please get them in because we want to hear your thoughts. We're particularly interested for those of you for whom The Catcher in the Rye is a reread, if your perceptions have changed at all. Because, yeah, that's sort of where I'm going to be focusing my attention. And, of Mm. course, in general, we're just interested in the idea of reading banned books and what you think that brings to your understanding of Catcher in the Rye. So that or anything else you can share with us. uh, If you want to send it long form, it's on email, hkhspod at gmail.com, on the Twitters at hkhspod, or on the hashtag hkhspod. So Joe, uh, we're going back to dystopia, and Mm -hmm. then we're going to hang out with like a really miserable dude, but it's going to be good (laughs) because we're going to learn about ourselves. Oh boy, what a way to end January. Happy 2022 (laughs) first month, everybody. Until then, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Jesse and, um, oh gosh, I'm already forgetting the character names. Slater. His name's Slater, AC Slater. (laughs) Hehehe.